I've left you for a little time away. And now that we're back, we're right here. Right in the storytelling room. Bookshelves full of stories practically begging to be read. The fire warm and inviting as the wind and the snow howl through the air just outside that enormous window there. There is a warm chair with soft blankets just there for you. And this story doesn't come from a book. This story comes from my own imagination. For, you see, Instead of answering another spirit's question this week, I thought I would answer my own. Well, it's kind of a question. More of a request, really. I want to hear a story about gods and humans. I want to hear a story about the ingenuity of the soul. And I want, most importantly, to create something. To bring something that is in my mind into reality, here, with you, now. So, let's get right to it then. Once upon a time, there was a woman who lived in a very cold place far, far away in the snowy mountain. She had traveled long and far to reach this place long, long, long ago when she was a young and frightened thing which is when we will meet her. Fear, desperation, and exhaustion can do such a thing to a person. When there is so little keeping you in a place, and so much forcing you out, whether it is due to what you have, or what you believe, how you live, love, or are, or whether or not it is safe for you to simply exist. Those are just a few examples. She had discovered long ago that her compass was not the same one her country expected her to use. There are many fights fought in the names of gods who have been built and created and warped and changed to suit certain folks' needs, are there not? And so, 
Sometimes one needs to just go their own path. I think that's all she'd prefer, I said on the subject. As there is more that is more wondrous to come. She braved the cold and the great height with only some clothes on her back and a little food in her bag. Surviving the journey was the hardest part, for no heart or home kept her tied to that place. She traveled on foot for days, for weeks, for months, stopping in safe, natural places to camp, to forage, to rest. She was clever, and she was resourceful, and that was not difficult. It was once the snow came that the young woman had struggled the most. The higher and higher she went, the more biting the cold. It shrieked into her ears and snuck in behind her eyes. It pierced her fingertips and toes. Her legs moved, though she could not feel them. Her cheeks burned. Her tears hardened with ice. She feared that she would freeze entirely on this mountain. And would that be so bad? Here, where the sky was so bright, and the trees so green, and the absolute silence so deeply accepting of her. Just as she admired the purity of this frigid place, the sight of a shattered and crumbling stone structure up ahead caught her eye. She hurried to it, though it was drafty and falling apart. Enough of the giant stone bricks were piled closely around each other that she could protect herself from the wind a little long enough to light a fire and warm her bones. She had found an ancient temple, long forgotten, possibly even destroyed by an invading army who'd found their own god threatened by the memory of another. I shall be brief in this next part for our heroine must grow into the character she must become. Using the stones, she rebuilt the temple, turned it into something unique, something no one would recognize, something that would be all her own. No soldiers from any nation would be able to recognize this place as belonging to any country or creed friend or enemy. And surely no brigands who might come by would dare desecrate a place of worship, even if they weren't sure what it was that was worshipped in it. It seemed the perfect place to begin to survive once more. And it was. For many, many years, she stayed here. It was safe. It was warm. She could fend for herself here. And soon, passers-by from nearby villages would discover her. Easy enough. 
she would pretend to be in prayer, chanting in meaningful meditation, mid-ritual, worshipping the god the temple stood for. And most of the time, the villagers would bow and leave her alone, for they were respectful and spiritual folk, too. But after several years, they had started to come by to see her more often. The holy woman in the hills became known in these parts. It was considered good luck to see her tending to her garden, praying to the trees, lighting the evening torches. It was rumored that anyone who'd been blessed by a sighting would have healthy crops and good health for a year. Some townspeople swore that seeing her had cured their pain. Whoever it is she is worshipping, they concluded, it is a kind and merciful god, and she is a most worthy high priestess, a most magical woman indeed. So, she received visitors. Help me with my aches. Help me repair my friendships. Help me grow my wealth. Let my son be prosperous. That sort of thing they came to her doorstep with. But she was wise enough by now to know that she could not offer her insight, a brew, a spell, a prayer, any magic, anything like that. Not from herself. If they called her a witch, it would be the end of her. If they thought she had any power herself, they would want to take it from her. She would have to run away all over again, and she had grown rather fond of her sweet temple. And so she made a show of praying to her god. She lit the right kind of candles and laid out the correct herbs and stones and tinctures and bones. She sang little songs they could not understand. She danced beautifully within a circle of chalk. She entered trances and raptures and states of being that were exquisite to behold. And, if it was her God's will, then the prayer was answered. If it was not, then it was not. It was not in her control, after all. All she could do was ask. Her only power was through him. For a time, the people were satisfied, and, more often than not, they received the blessing they had asked for. But after some years, more people came. They would bring her gifts of food and flowers, clothes and firewood, and candles. Always plenty and plenty of candles. But now... They were beginning to ask her questions about her faith. Who is it you worship? What kind of god is it? What does this god want? How can we serve this god like you? Now, she was in a tricky position, you see. She could not pick the god of the place she came from, 
for they were known as heartless invaders. And she could not pick the god of the place these people were from, for they'd know she was a fraud, surely. So, she created one. Many of the townsfolk came to hear her answer. Out of nothing other than respect, they'd gathered in her temple, eager to learn more of the source of her power. She hid her trembling hands in her long sleeves as they patiently, silently, waited for her to speak. She closed her eyes in deep meditation for a long moment. She looked up at her temple and saw things, things she had been given, things made for her in exchange for her prayers the temple she'd had faith enough in to stay with and build stronger. She looked back on the sea of years that lay behind her and all the things that had brought her to this place. And though there was a substantial part of her that felt she was deceiving the kind and generous townsfolk, there was a greater part of her that felt a deep love and gratitude for them. And it was from that place that the words fell out of her mouth, her eyes closed again, voice resonating throughout the stone chamber as she lit a circle of candles around herself. I give my life and my works to the god of stone, he who gives ease to the suffering and makes tremble cruelty, gives to the giving and takes from the taking, and holds the peaceful in the safety of his eternal fortress, forever and ever, in the name of the ancient heart. And as she fell to her knees in the circle, clasping her hands up over her head towards the sky with great energy, a freezing wind came in and blew all the candles out. The people gasped and shrieked, and our priestess smiled in the darkness at how perfect nature's timing was. Weeks, months, maybe a year or so, who knows, passed. More visits of this kind crossed the priestess and the temple's paths. Sometimes visitors from strange lands would come and beg to hear her wisdom. Often, Women and men and folk from town would come and visit her as a friend, or offer her some of their harvest, and ask how they might appease the god of stone too. Sometimes young folk from town would come and, shaking in fear and excitement, 
ask her to make the candles blow out. The strange part was, they always did. But the country she'd run from all those long years ago, they heard about her. They heard news of a prophetess, a sorceress, an oracle, foretelling a future where her god would conquer all evil, or would battle anyone with greed or aggression in their heart, or some other such nonsense. Nonsense which, of course, they found reason to take personally, and take offense at, therefore. And so, the day she'd dreaded for years, and years, and years, came. A group of people came to her door. Priests, governors, officers, soldiers. She did not let them in. It was the middle of the night, almost midnight to be exact, and she was in her little straw bed in the lofts of the temple when she heard banging on the door a list of charges being read out. It didn't matter what they were, because everyone knew they were untrue. She had thought about running. There was a back door. They could destroy the temple and search for her, and she'll have disappeared into the mountains again. And she could start again somewhere new. She had that power. She knew it. And she even had the desire but she heard the voices of the townspeople outside, too. Concerned, and protesting at risk of their own punishment. So great was their love for this woman. And she thought to herself, Well now, I may have invented everything this temple is built on, I may have created a god that does not exist except in my imagination. I may not be who everyone around me thinks I am. But I think it is worthwhile to stand up for it, nonetheless. She put on her finest silk robe that the oldest woman in the village made for her. She tied her long, dark silver mane of hair up with a shimmering ribbon a child had given her as her family passed through the temple. And she painted her lips red with the juices of cherries she'd foraged from the nearby woods that had so generously welcomed her all these years. She presented herself as the priestess she was and she opened the doors. Every person standing with torch, document, sword, or shield gasped at the sight of her. They hadn't seen a priestess like this in so long. Most of them had forgotten such sights had existed. But they used to live in temples in the mountains, in the woods, in the deserts, by the sea, 
for hundreds and hundreds of years. Now, they just had to become clever at hiding. One of the officers cleared his throat and began to read something legal and strange and really rather silly. And she closed her eyes and began to whisper, I give my life and my works to the God of stone. He who gives ease to suffering and makes tremble cruelty, gives to the giving and takes from the taking, and holds the peaceful in the safety of his eternal fortress, forever and ever, in the name of the ancient heart. And all was silent. And nothing happened. One of the priests began to laugh, soon joined by one of the governors, then by a few soldiers and officers, and soon they were all in an uproar, slapping their knees, falling to the ground, clapping each other on the backs at how silly the woman was. And it was then that a great wind blew in from the mountain, cold and chilling, and blew out all of the firelight but for the great fire in the hearth. One of the soldiers shrieked, absolutely shrieked, and ran into the woods, terrified. The rest of them turned and faced her again, and they saw why. From the walls of the temple, covered in ivy and moss, a figure began to take shape. At first he looked like just an outline in the inner wall, just behind the hearth in the center of the temple, the great fire almost just embers now. The flickering of them made it hard to see just what was happening. But with great groaning and grinding and roaring, the shape of a man began to form himself. He grew out of the wall, carved himself out of the wall. Whatever it was that was happening, it was not without great pain. And our priestess turned slowly, almost too afraid to see what was happening. And she watched as the god of stone emerged. He took a lumbering step forward and had to pause and breathe deeply, each breath sounding like a gust of wind whirling through a mountain cave. 
a few more steps, and he was able to stand tall, his enormous stone chest heaving up and down, but slowing its breath, finding a nobility, finding the self-possession that a god ought to have. Priests, officers, governors, and soldiers looked at the thing as it stood behind the priestess. He was made of stone, but becoming more and more flesh-like before their eyes, though that flesh was gray and silver, and covered in its fine cloth of green ivy and soft moss. His face held an expression of purity and disappointment as he beheld the documents, the scrolls, the weapons, the fire, waiting at the woman's doorstep, the woman who had so lovingly cared for him. Go, he uttered, his voice almost sad. The priests, officers, governors, soldiers from the other place, they ran away. Away, away. They might return in greater force, who knows, but that would first require them to make any kind of sense of what they saw. Many of the townspeople fled, too. They went to their homes and held each other and wept or prayed. Some of them dropped to the ground, so in awe of what they were seeing that they could only offer it that awe in tribute. The priestess stood still as stone herself, but for the tears falling from her eyes and her body shaking with little rapturous sobs at seeing the stone god of the generous heart. Just as she'd pictured him in her imagination, somehow come to life here. He stood tall and proud, breathing that ancient breath and his green, sparkling emerald eyes landed on hers. And as she looked into them, it was too much to bear. She felt a great shame, a great guilt, but at the same time, an all-encompassing kind of love and gratitude, and it hit her in the heart like an arrow, and she crumpled to the floor, arms extended towards his feet in reverence. She heard a mighty groan, a heavy sigh, more deeply sad than anything she'd ever heard in her life. And then the horrible, cacophonous, echoing clamor of stone 
crashing against stone. It too fell to its knees. Immense stone knees slamming into the stone floor. The palms of his hands indenting the tiles there. And he screamed, wept, too. Who am I that my creator must bow at my feet? Oh, mother, oh, goddess, please do not lower yourself to worship me, for it is I that should worship you. She raised herself to her knees to see him there, weeping clear spring water in great amounts kneeling before her, calling her mother, calling her goddess. It was a lie, she said, weeping, feeling deep pain at the creature's pain. I just created you to save myself. I am not worth your worshipping. Did I save you? And she looked and saw all the statesmen from the country that had so callously tossed her aside, gone. And she whispered, Yes, my sweet, you did. And the stone god smiled such a pure, ancient, and kind smile that she truly believed she did create a god of a generous heart. They looked at each other long, and any townsperson who looked up and saw the sight before them would surely be responsible for the tapestries, the murals, the epic poems written to try to capture it in the centuries to come. The priestess and the god looked at each other long, and the words came out of their mouths at the same time. I give my life and my works to you. She who gives ease to suffering and makes tremble cruelty, gives to the giving and takes from the taking, and holds the peaceful in the safety of his eternal fortress, forever and ever, in the name of the ancient heart. She held him round his great neck and pressed her lips to his forehead, blessing him with her kiss. As his tears formed a crystal-clear stream that ran through the temple, down the mountain, and into the villages. He held her hands in his huge great palm and kissed them as she bathed them in those tears, both of them kneeling in that stream now. I have power only through you. and they protected the mountain, 
They loved the people. They created every new step of their journey hand in hand, as creator and created, worshipper and worshipped. Though neither of them ever was clear on who was who, which was which. And that was exactly how they liked it best. That's the end, my friend. What a nice story. Do you think that what we create in story, in song, in art, is real? I knit this blanket here that I'm holding. It was just an idea in my head, and now it is in my hands. I came up with a little story about a priestess and a stone god. And you and me. Now it is in your ears. What do you need that you can imagine into being? To care for you. To give you what you perceive there isn't. I wonder. With that thought in mind, I'll leave you to it. Enjoy the fire if you like. Until it goes out, that is. You can always use your candle to find your way back. Sweet dreams, my friend. Hello, everyone, and thanks so much for listening to episode 224 of On a Dark Cold Night. This is your host, writer, narrator, podcaster, composer, etc., Kristen Zaza. I hope you're well, safe, rested, peaceful out there. Keeping warm, keeping well. I'd like to thank a new patron of the show who pledged a monthly amount in support of On a Dark Cold Night on Patreon this week. Another awesome horror podcaster and new friend. Thank you so much for your support, Molly. I really appreciate it. Every supporter of $1 a month US on Patreon receives access to my complete soundtrack, while supporters of $5 or more a month US get that, a weekly bonus meditation episode every Thursday and a monthly tarot reading video uploaded every full moon. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash darkcoldnight. You can also access those weekly bonus meditations through Sonar Plus, which is the Sonar Network's newly launched Apple podcast channel, which gives you access to bonus ad-free content from lots of awesome Sonar Network shows for $3.99 a month. All the proceeds go to the podcasters, and it's a great way to support Canadian content. You can subscribe through On a Dark Cold Night on Apple. You can also search for the Sonar Plus channel on Apple, or you can go to thesonarnetwork.com. If you want to donate to On a Dark Cold Night one time only with no perks, you can do so at ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight. 
And I also have t-shirts and hoodies for purchase at bonfire.com slash on dash a dash dark dash cold dash night. It would also be very helpful and amazing if you left a review on iTunes, Spotify, Facebook, or wherever else you like to rate and review podcasts. You can also follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter at a dark cold night, Instagram at dark cold night podcast, Facebook and YouTube under on a dark cold night, or on TikTok at Kristen Zaza. These are all great ways to submit a question if you have one you'd like to hear me address in an upcoming episode. It was a longer story this week, so I will leave you with that. Also because I'm tired, too, and off to get some rest. But I hope you have a wonderful week, my friends. See what you can create and bring to reality in this world. Not just to help yourself, but others as well. I'd certainly love to live in a world with generous, ancient gods and helpful magic. Sweet dreams, my friends, and be well. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar.